I think that all of us have these very deep feelings of tenderness and sadness. If you don't discuss it, just eats away, eats away, eats away at you. I never talked about it with anybody. The greater damage done to me was keeping the secret. If I can be vulnerable, that'll help other people be vulnerable. And it doesn't work for me to be silent. It makes me sick, literally, physically. I can't believe I'm going to tell you this story, but I'm going to tell you this story. If I could have known that you and I were alike, I would have had so much more hope. You realize you are not the only one. I think you can feel so supported just by knowing that you're not alone. From WMPG, I'm Dr. Ann Hallward, a psychiatrist in Portland, Maine. And this is Safe Space Radio, the show about the subjects we would struggle with less if we talked about them more. This season, we're revisiting some of our best shows from the past eight years. Today's interview with Matthew Sanford is from 2011. He tells the story of the car accident that killed his father and sister and left him at 13 years old, paralyzed from the chest down. He was able, despite all of this, to become a yoga teacher and he now specializes in the healing of trauma by, as he describes it, awakening the mind-body connection. I chose to play this show again because he has such an interesting and novel perspective on the theme of silence. Usually on Safe Space Radio, we explore silence as a force that shames and isolates people. We approach silence as something to give voice to so that we can reclaim more of ourselves and connect with others who share the same experiences. But Matthew talks about silence as a physical experience, the lack of sensation in his legs and feet after he was paralyzed. Rather than working to overcome that silence, he instead learns to listen deeply to the silence in his body. What he discovers has the power to make us rethink the mind-body relationship, not just for people who are paralyzed, but for all of us as we learn to relate to our bodies as we grow older. Here's my conversation with yoga teacher and author, Matthew Sanford. Welcome to Safe Space, Matthew. It's a pleasure to be here. So even though I've kind of outlined the basic gist of the story, I think probably we do need to begin by asking you to tell us a little bit about what happened and um, maybe with a focus on what your experience as a 13-year-old boy was in, in terms of how you were supposed to recover, kind of the models of rehab that you describe in your writing. Well, well first of all, it, you know, the day, it was the Sunday after Thanksgiving in 1978. And like trauma often happens, it seemed like an innocent day. It was 32 degrees and misting. It wasn't even snowing. And we're driving home from Kansas City, Missouri to um, to. Duluth, Minnesota, and we went where it came on an overpass and hit preferential icing. That's where ice forms because on the bridge deck, mm. and we just went sliding down the embankment. So, and it was a one-car accident. My father and sister were killed, like you said, and I was paralyzed from the chest down. And one of the one of the really intense lessons of that, but of trauma in general, for someone that's been through devastating trauma, is that the unthinkable is possible. That's a possibility. Like you, and, and how do you reconcile that fact? How do you re- reconcile that? I was asleep in the car. I was a 13-year-old boy. It was, it was 9 in the morning. I was, was going to have a 12-hour car ride. So I went to sleep innocently and woke up to a completely different world three and a half days later. 
and I encountered, I was very, very injured. I broke my neck and my back and both my wrists and filled the lung with fluid and, and um, sustained an injury to my, my pancreas that left me unable to eat for um, nearly two months. And I went, so I went from 119-pound 13-year-old boy to, to 79 pounds really fast. And so the first periods of time, you know, while I was trying to recover and just get stable enough to actually even sit up, that's just I was in and out of consciousness, and there's amazing pain and things. But then once I started to recover some, I encountered a vision of my injury where where the the paralysis that I experience, the injury is permanent. There, it's a complete loss. And really, what I could do would be to overcome, to actually make my upper body. I'm paralyzed from the chest down. Um, my only option was really to make my upper body really strong and learn over the course of my life to drag my paralyzed body through life. And that was basically, in a nutshell, what I encountered, to engage my will to actually push through the consequences of trauma. You describe these sort of role models that were presented to you as a boy in rehab that were supposed to inspire you, and each one kind of more willful and almost more manly than the next in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, and all this is well-intending. This is 30 years ago, 32 years ago, and, and this is how we view a loss of body because on some level I've, quote, lost part of my body, right? And especially to someone who doesn't, haven't sustained a spinal cord injury, the doctors and nurses standing over me, that's how they perceive it. And so to help me believe that I had a, a future going forward, that I could do things, they did. They found three different paraplegics with similar injuries to show me that there was life after, after disability. One was a very good wheelchair athlete. One was a, a guy that tried to impress me with stories of being able to still, still be a deer hunter, to be able to go by himself with a four-wheeler. And it, they're amazing stories to be yeah. able to still shoot a deer and get it out on his own and gut the deer on his own. And these were kind of the stories to show me that my manhood, that my, that my life forward would, I'd have to work harder, but things were still available to me. It's striking, isn't it, of course, because the accident happened right as you were going into puberty. Yep. So yep. the whole question, would, like, you were becoming a man, literally. Lit- well, just barely. I mean, I would say I was very, you know, a babe in the hormonal woods at the time. So, <laughs> but I was old enough to recognize that I had to put my childhood away that I was now entering a life that had to change radically and I needed to put my childish or childhood self away and learn to go forward as an adult and accept the fate of my life very quickly. And so I think 13 in some ways is a perfect age. I mean, and as a metaphor for all of us too, is that we have that innocence inside of us and we and it gets damaged and we still have, and we have the adult that knows they have to deal with the world that that life unfolds. And we and we cope with it often by putting that childhood self away, by thinking that that's the, the way to do it is just by putting all of that away. Yeah, and that's exactly what I did. I mean, I actually told myself and would tell people for the first, you know, five, six years after my accident that I've had two lives. I would just say, I remember saying this clearly, I, I had two lives. I, I, one, I died when I was 13. And the walking person that was me, I, that life ended. And now I woke from a coma to a new life. And I used to kind of say it with a sense of, like, pride, saying, hey, I get two lives and you've only had one. You know, like, I've had two. 
and this is my second. And I literally use that as a mechanism, as a healing story, to push aside the, the, the loss and the trauma and the sadness and engage my life going forward because I had a lot to figure out and a lot to try to traverse with the rest of my life. And how do you feel about your pre-13-year-old life now? Do you still see it as separate? Oh, no. That's, one, that's a pivotal realization that happens is that at a certain point, although that healing story served me um, at, to be able to like, be an adult and facing medical complication as an adult, um, I missed that boy. That boy's innocence. I started, when I started yoga 13 years later, one of the things that started to happen is I wanted, instead of having you know, a discontinuity in my life, having two lives, I realized that I really wanted just one. And I needed to bring forward and bring back with me the 13-year-old boy that, thought, that used to love to hang upside down and, and roll around and, and climb trees. That, that, that was part of the best part of me, the belief that the world can be whatever you make it. In a lot of ways, the, what leads me forward with my work and my nonprofit work and also trying to change how I deliver health care, I mean, it's an outrageous aspiration I have, and it has a lot to do with me reconnecting with the strength of the boy that lived before the injury. How, how does it, how, how does your dream connect to or have a lot to do with reconnecting with the strength of that boy? Thinking and believing that anything's possible, that not everything has to be so serious. That I, everyone remembers, like as a kid, you all of a sudden start to hear what, it, what the adult world looks like and think, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't seem any fun. Like, you know, I don't want that world, you know. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's so many kids that are trying to hurry up and get old too fast because they think there's something better there. And then we figure out as an adult that what were we in such a rush for? The best time was actually younger. And the belief that anything's possible, the wonder of myself as a boy is integral to my work now. We can change the way we deliver healthcare. We can change our whole rehabilitation process that why not? Let's just set to work. So how would you like to change rehab? I mean, what, what is your vision for how that might well, change? You know, I want there to be more options. I want there to be a mind-body approach. One of the consequences of trauma, one of the things that happens when you go through, especially physical trauma, but any kind of trauma, is you end up losing connection to your body. Now, that sounds like strange words, and I don't, mean, I don't mean it to be strange. I mean, literally, you end up losing connection to the world, things that you appreciate. You don't notice the beauty of the sun or the green of leaves. There's a whole bunch of the world you stop connecting with when you're going through the hardest places of your life. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think literally, especially with physical trauma, you leave, you leave your body, you lose connection to your body. And that, in, in, in my situation of a spinal cord injury, just a perfect example of that is that literally by, break, by, by, by severing my spinal cord, I lost connection, direct and easy connection to two-thirds of my body, right? And so I live that, that story a little bit more in extreme. And I wish that we, if you think about my injury, if you think about my injury, let me back up a little bit. It's like I live a mind-body problem. If, if, you, if I tickle the bottoms of your feet, you feel it. If you tickle the bottoms of my feet, I don't feel it. Right? I encounter silence. I encounter a different sensation when that happens. Right? And it's told to me as loss. But, so I live this mind-body problem, and I was never helped to reconnect to my whole body. 
I was just showed what I could still do. Oh, Matt, you could still play wheelchair basketball. Your upper arms will get really strong. You still might be able to go deer hunting, like in which I have no interest in deer hunting, even when I was a young kid, right? But the idea was that I could compensate for what I had actually lost. And the fact is that there are subtle connections within the mind-body relationship that transcend a severed spinal cord, that literally there is sensation when I sit and get quieter and listen and then start to move with alignment and precision, i.e. through the principles of yoga, I start to feel my whole body again. But it's not at the level that I used to. It's a different level of sensation. That level of sensation, that subtle connection that we all need, it's not just people living with trauma loss disability. We all need that subtler connection to our lives and to our mind-body relationship. That is being left out of the rehabilitation model. Okay, so I want to, you know, one of the things that you did when we talked before the show is you just did this very brief, uh, almost it gave me an example of shifting my body and noticing the different sensation that came. And I wondered if you could do something like that again. Yeah, I mean, one of the things is that, like everyone, you know, just listeners, if you're sitting, you know, sit back in your chair and slouch and, and, let, and let your knees kind of splail out. Like I, I call that channel flipper posture, like imagine a la- lazy boy chair, right? And now, and said, sit up more straight and tall. Don't lean against the back of your chair and, and connect and press slightly down or lightly through your, the inner edge of your heels. So you sit up straight and tall and notice the difference of sensation in your legs. Now sit back and slouch again and notice how it gets duller. You don't feel as much. Now sit up straight again, feel gravity, connect, and this time just don't connect down through your heels, but also extend up through your spine and, and imagine you can top the top of your head to the ceiling. But remember to breathe while you're doing all this. Because a lot of times you start feeling your body and you forget to breathe. Now what's crazy, that level, that, that difference in clarity in what you feel in your legs, the way, notice now you maybe feel your inner thighs, right? I call the inner thighs the forgotten country in our culture. <laughs> we don't use our inner thighs and we wonder why we have back problems, right? And that, that level of sensation, what's crazy, and, should, and when I go around speaking nationally, should bake everyone's noodle, is that I feel those changes too, even though my spine is severed. Okay, so of course that's so fascinating. And I wondered if you, you describe it in your book almost like an auditory experience, like a kind of a hum. Well, it is for me, and, and, and this is where everyone learns differently. Some people are more visual. But literally, and this is like crazy, and I don't want to get too out there, but there is a hum. Like I feel like a hum or a buzz in, in my whole body. It, it, and when and you slouch, do you hear it less? Yes. And when I bring it, and this is the principle of a special Iyengar yoga, which is, which is the style that I study that really emphasizes alignment. When you sit up, so when you, everyone claps your chest, if you clap your chest down and let your chest drop down, you feel one thing, you feel that you've got soreness in your upper back. Everyone lift your chest up, and as you lift your chest up, right, connect to your sits bones and press down through your feet, right? That change, that feeling of being more expansive in your life is one of the things that you lose when you've gone through a lot of trauma, but it's also a sensation that you need to like practice and study so, and, and, and learn to move with it. And so there are definitely ways to bring that level of awareness more to the forefront. And what happened in my situation is I needed any way to connect to my, my whole body, right, to feel more whole and vibrant in the world, right? So I really needed to listen to this level of sensation, right? The fact is, though, everybody, especially as they age, your outer body, your physical body, though, gets tired and has, 
You know, you go out and shovel snow and suddenly you have to take Advil for four days. <laughs> you know, or, or you run and you jog and your knees are, are sore. Like your outer body, your physical body, that body is going to wear and tear more. But there's this inner body, this inner connection, this inner level of sensation that's a tangible and practical part of you that needs to come more forward in your life especially when you've gone through trauma, loss, and disability, and that's what I do, what I teach through my nonprofit, but also when you age. This level of sensation is real, it's tangible, and it's practical, right? And we need to bring it, everyone needs to bring it more fully in their lives. So part of what I'm hearing you say is that you may be sort of this very concrete, extreme example of, right. ex- of an encounter with silence in your body. But in fact, we're all we're all increasingly experiencing that as we age, an experience of of silence in the body, and that we can attend to that silence. That the silence itself can be something we can have a relationship with. I believe that I live just a slightly more extreme case of what we're all living in the mind body relationship. Right mm-hmm. now, when you think about my paralysis and I don't feel the sensation when I take on my feet, I encounter silence. Inward silence, increasing silence within the mind-body relationship, feeling less vibrant is a fact of everybody's life. That's aging. The silence in everybody is increasing as they age. Now, the question is, and the question of how to heal trauma and loss and also how to deal with aging is, are you going to think of that increasing silence as just a loss? Or is it more than that? Is it alive? Does the silence within you, the quality of you that aches, I, I describe it in, in waking as, as feeling empty and full at the same time, right? That feeling that allows you to notice the beauty of a sunset, that allows you to feel and appreciate what living actually is. Now, I have, an 11, I have a 10-year-old son, he's about to be 11, and, and he doesn't see beauty the way I see beauty. He's way alive, and he's hanging upside down, and he's doing all the things that I used to do at that age. But because he doesn't have the same inward silence in his mind-body relationship, he can't see beauty the same way. He can't feel and appreciate the same things I can. He will as he gets older and ages. But that's part of the trade-off. And this level of silence is something that we need to embrace, not just as loss, but as a fact of life. And the story of waking is the story of recognizing that that level of silence and increasing silence in us is itself a sensation, that it's alive, that it what makes yoga poses more graceful. It makes you be able to live your life more gracefully. A line I often use when I'm speaking is that strength without a sense of direction is violence, Right? Um, strength with a sense of direction is grace. And when you start to be able to slow down and move and learn to extend your spine and open your chest and breathe and feel your whole body, I guarantee you that you will move more gracefully through your life. I guarantee you that you will encounter the, the source, the organic ground of compassion. It comes from this part of us. If we don't work on that part of us and learn how to have it as a sensation, it leads to disconnection and loss. Part of what I'm wondering about, you, you said to me, and I think you've written, that part of what you had to 
be able to bear in, in doing exactly what you're encouraging me and all of us to do is in sitting with that silence was you had to bear how incredibly vulnerable it made you feel. Yes. And that feels, I'd love to talk a little bit more about that because it seems to me that part of why I wanted to talk to you is that what I got from, from reading your work is that you moved from a kind of willful, forcing, mind-over-matter relationship to being paralyzed to one of being really present. And that that shift in being present to this inner silence meant that you had to feel so much vulnerability. And I, I'd love to hear you tell right. me more about that. And, and, and it is my experience. And the fact is that our, our culture tries to overcome the body. Our culture tries to overcome the silence. People like to imagine that I can't believe you overcame your paralysis and became a yoga teacher, as if my paralysis or my life was in fact an obstacle I'm supposed to willfully overcome. Well, in fact, I am a yoga teacher exactly because of my paralysis, exactly because I live an altered mind-body relationship. Right, you never would have probably been drawn to it to begin with if you hadn't. Totally. Yes. I, I, you know, I wouldn't have. And, and one of the things about, about opening to the silence, people imagine that they're stronger if they feel less that the vulnerability that comes with feeling is, is a, or the sensation, I don't want to call it vulnerability. Vulnerability already describes it a certain word. The sensation that comes with being more present, with being more exposed and vulnerable and open to the world, people imagine that's not strength. And they're, they're mistaken. You get stronger as you feel more and become more present. It's just getting through the hurdle of feeling exposed of feeling open, that's what's so hard. And that's why I believe like recognizing um, vulnerability or the silence within you as a sensation allows you to start moving and then being able to move it through your body with the practice of yoga, being able to take the silence. There's a silence, you know, there's a stillness that surrounds the heart. I mean like literally in your chest, the sensation, there's a stillness that surrounds the silence of the heart, the place that you can love the most from, right? Letting your brain descend down into that silence. Let your brain or your mind descend down to the stillness that, around, that surrounds the heart is an action that starts a yoga class often or a, that is actually becoming stronger, right? But we don't, we're not trained to think. We don't know. It makes it, you might cry there. You know, in the silence, you might be holding a lot of grief. Right? You might be holding a lot of loss and things you have to work through. One of the greatest gifts I got from going through the trauma I did is that I'm no longer afraid of my own sadness. I believe that vulnerability is a precondition of realization. And when you say you realization... you can't truly realize and grow uh -huh. without encountering and embracing the sensation of vulnerability the sensation that underlies being open to change in the world. And this is with a 13-year-old boy. See, little kids have that without even thinking. They don't know how the world works yet, so they're wide open. They're open to the world. And that's why, like, when kids get abused, it hurts all of us in the heart. It hurts all of us on the inside because we know that innocent beauty that is a manifestation of silence. 
getting a little getting a little carried away here. You know, actually, my my response is actually to be quiet. It feels like a really right. way to honor the power of what you're saying. And also lift your chest at the same time, and that's the point of waking. As you encounter the silence, don't just let it make you get smaller and wither. Don't just make it make you feel smaller. Use the silence to feel your sits bones, feel your feet, and start to lift your chest. Soften your jaw. Relax the inside of your mouth. Soften the inside of your mouth and breathe. Let the silence be a mind-body sensation, not just an absence. When you do, the vulnerability starts to transform into strength. Just a different kind of strength. Yeah, I really, I, I really believe you. I mean, we feel it. You know when you're in the presence of someone who has that quality. And sometimes, sometimes in the presence of beauty or of nature or out in the, you know, you just go, oh, man, you open, wide open. That's yes. it. So I want to change the subject a little, Matthew, because yep. I'm aware we're almost out of time. And I, I work with someone who's paralyzed from the chest down. Mm-hmm. I told her I was interviewing you, and mm-hmm. she wanted to ask you about the breath. Because I know that yoga is so much about paying attention to breathing. And she, she also doesn't have conscious control of her abdominal muscles. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to ask you, how do you work with the breath when you have less control over it consciously? Well, you've got you to increase your, bra- your base anyway. But know that, like, the mind is kind of afraid of breathing. That's why it's not a very conscious thing. And when you become really conscious of your breath sometimes, and you can actually have trouble breathing. <laughs> you know, I mean, yes. like if you get too aware of it. Yeah. So it's really important as a precondition of breathing is to practice the sensation of feeling grounded. Hmm. Right, of being in your body, feeling your feet, feeling your sits bones. Maybe you're laying on the floor, getting that sensation of grounding. So your diaphragm isn't trying to do all the work by itself. Now, she's paralyzed and doesn't have the abdominal control. Neither do I. And so it's really important for me to like create and realize a more subtle level of base. You know, safety is a precondition of living well. Safety is a precondition of breathing well. Right? In order for you to grow, you also have to feel safe. And that's what's so hard when you've gone through trauma. The conditions of safety have been violated. Mm-hmm. And you've got to figure out, and I know whether you're paralyzed, I mean, even if you're in pain, that your body is still the best home your mind will ever have. Mm-hmm. Ever. That's a and wonderful you quote. need to enter your body in order to breathe well. And be more aware of subtle things, practically, like, like feel the inhalation going through each nostril. Feel it more. Soften the inside of your mouth. Feel it go into your nasal passages. As you do, you know what you're going to find out is that your breath literally permeates your whole body. It's beautiful. When I breathe well, that, that silence, that hum that I was told doesn't exist, when I breathe well, oh my gosh, I feel it through my head to my toes, not just in my lungs. Matthew, I would love to talk to you for so much longer. I want to thank you. We're going to have to end. I get which it. Which I feel sad about, really. Mm-hmm. I want to just point people to your website, which is mindbodysolutions.org. Is that right? Yep, that is correct. And I understand that people can invite you to be a speaker at conferences, at the organizations, about these kind of subjects. And even in business. I I, I speak at conferences. I mean, the fact is everyone needs to be more in their body. I speak at all sorts of things. Yep. 
I thank you so much. I hope it's we get to do this again, Matthew. It's an honor, and thank you for the work you're doing. That conversation with yoga instructor Matthew Sanford was recorded in 2011. If you would like to read Matthew's book, the title is Waking, a Memoir of Trauma and Transcendence, and his website is matthewsanford.com. When this interview first aired, it was part of a series of interviews about recovery from trauma. If you want to hear more of the shows from that series or any of our other past shows about the subjects we hide, please visit our website at safespaceradio.com. Today is our last show of the season, and we'll be taking an eight-month break until September of 2017. While we're gone, we'll be exploring new ways for us to use radio to foster courage, hope, and connection about the subjects that can divide and silence us. Follow us on Facebook and on Twitter, where we'll post our stories and discoveries. Today is also the last show for our producer, Gabe Graben, who's been working with Safe Space Radio for almost four years. Gabe brought so much talent and creativity and editing skill to the show. I will sorely miss him and wish him luck in his next audio adventures. My thanks, too, to Jim Russell for being our editorial advisor.